we remember what we're doing? No, barely. It's been a while since I've recorded. My poor mic has dust on it. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today we're sharing some under the radar reads. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Welcome back. Thanks. (laughs) How are you, Renee? I'm good. Very good. It's been two weeks. I know. Two weeks since we last recorded. Two weeks since we recorded and talked. I mean, we talk on Slack, but Mm -hmm. since we actually talked um, in person. Face-to-face via Zoom. We're not, I mean, live. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. Yes. So good two weeks. Did we, I mean, we've been reading. Did you, Mm -hmm. you had a really enjoyable um, trip to DC. Yes, I had a good trip to DC. Jonathan came with me. I was there for work. So we did a little work pleasure combo. And I'll tell you about one of the things I got to do when I was in DC here in a little bit, but yeah, it was a good time. And it was interesting though, because our one of our tasks we wanted to do was go to a Nationals game, the baseball stadium. We were even staying down there for our first day and we couldn't go. The game was canceled due to poor air quality because of the fires in Canada, which is so crazy. And so we were like touring the, you know, Lincoln Memorial and like all this other, the mall in Washington, D.C. And we're like... Um, why is the air orange? <laughs> like it was very it was that noticeable. Surreal. Yes. And it was slight. It was noticeable. And when we landed, I'm like, oh, it's just hazy here. And then because I didn't catch the story until we landed, I'm like, oh, this is because of the fires. It wasn't as bad as New York, but it was still noticeable. And then yeah, we started hearing all about what was happening. I'm like, oh, it's probably for the best that we're not sitting outside at a baseball game in this mm-hmm. and like the players and you know, all right. the fans. So Still a very, very good trip. DC is such a book city. I had no idea. They had so many independent bookstores. Like, I mean, tons. A lot of author events. So it was really fun. What have you been up to? I have just been up to the usual. We had a family wedding recently and we have been to the lake and just kind of, you know, doing our thing and lots of walks with Vinny in the summer gets two, usually two walks a day, yeah. because like a short one in the morning because it gets too hot. And then an evening walk. I really like walking in the evening, which, you know, when the time change and mm-hmm. it gets darker earlier, that doesn't often happen. So just doing a lot of stuff outside, um, planting. We had some flowers planted. So yeah. all pollinators, it turns out. Ooh. Yeah. So I have, yeah, just, I don't know, been spending time outside. Good. Not doing anything too exciting. Do you read more or less in the summer or pretty consistent? You know, actually, I think I'm I'm reading less yeah. only because, and I don't know if it's just the way our break has like sure. fallen, but rather than like plowing through and getting ahead in my reading on our little mm-hmm. bit of a break, <laughs> I have went off on side tangents of podcasts yeah. and just reading. I'm consuming content, but it is not necessarily books. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a ton of online stuff and going down rabbit holes, like oh, um, just so interesting articles. You know, I, I bet I've enjoyed spending time doing that. We have watched a lot of movies. So I think every now and then that might be what I need is yeah. to take, is to read less. Yeah. Let me tell you what I did. I have been reading a little bit less volume, which is fine. I never really care about that as long as I'm getting enough reading in for the show. But I've been reading deeper. So I read my latest read. I tabbed it start to finish. I read almost the entire thing in print. And when I would read an e-copy because of like lighting or whatever, I would go back and tab it. I will show it on my Instagram today so you guys can see it. It was such a pleasure to sit and just hold a book, read it with tabs. Like it gave me such a jolt of energy. And I'm like, this is why 
I understand now why some people say they really like reading in print more. I think it depends on the book. If it's a book that's going to have staying power, I want to read it in print physically in my hands that a copy that I own, I feel like that would be really satisfying. Or if we're going to have it for like a book club discussion or, you know, on the on the podcast, one of our events. If it's a fun domestic suspense thriller, I don't mind doing audio with that, but I feel like it's been really fun to read. I don't know if it's deeper, but like slower. I don't know. Maybe it's like a multimedia mm-hmm. experience because I'm holding it, I'm tabbing it, I'm slowing down a little bit. So that has been mm-hmm. really enjoyable. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think it is deeper reading. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I think I brought that Ezra Klein podcast oh, episode mm-hmm. to the show where they talk about that. Reading in print is slowing down yeah. usually and allowing your brain to take it in in a different way. It'll be curious to see if I have more staying power with this title because I did read it slower. Anyway, we'll get into that. I also, though, have been listening to a podcast. This is my loving lately, which I oh, okay. I never, I don't listen to podcasts anymore. <laughs> I just don't have capacity sometimes in my day to like find one. I'll have like one or two that I listen to a week. But my loving lately is a podcast called Scamanda. Have you heard of it? No. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. The tagline is... Amanda is a wife, a mother, a blogger, a Christian, a charming, beautiful, bubbly young woman who lives life to the fullest. But Amanda is dying with a secret she doesn't want anyone to know. Okay, I got hooked on this one. I I saw somebody talk about it on wherever. And I was like, Scamanda, I like the title. You know, I love a good scam, a good con. Mm -hmm. Not that I want to be conned, but I like hearing about it from afar. There are new episodes of this one every Monday, and it's produced by an investigative journalist. So it's really well done. It incorporates snippets of actors who are kind of uh, playing the parts of some of the main people, but it's not cheesy. I'm very sensitive to reenactments. This is not cheesy. (laughs) But they also include real audio of Amanda talking to her church and talking about her experience. There's new episodes every Monday. There's going to be eight episodes total. So when this show airs, our podcast today, it'll be episode seven. Okay. So we're almost to the end. It's so addictive. I can't wait to see what happens. I'm being intentionally vague. All you need to know is Amanda has a secret and she's very bold. And we don't know quite what the secret is yet. But where I'm at, I'm on episode six. People are starting to figure it out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just getting really tense and exciting. So if you're looking for a podcast that you can just race through, that's like going to take you a day or two days to get through I definitely recommend this. It's the podcast called Scamanda. Okay, yeah, I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's very infuriating because I just want to like, if what's happening is really happening, I'm so mad, and I think it is. Like, it, it's just really frustrating to watch someone almost get away with it. And I've done a really good job of not googling anything. I have zero idea of how this ends. So I've tr- even like re- researching for my script. I'm like, oh god, what is it going to tell me? Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. know. So try not to Google anything about it. Just dive right in. Okay. Well, you did a good job of being very vague. Good. (laughs) I know. People are probably like, what is it about? Just tell us. I'm like, no, you must go listen. (laughs) Okay. My loving lately is quite simple. In general, my loving lately is dark chocolate. Now, (laughs) hear me out on what I have discovered. And this is not going to be, this is just a me discovery. I'm sure lots of other people know about this, but I like to have dark chocolate every day. My go-to has been Lint dark chocolate bars where I just pop the square off. I like the 70% cocoa. But recently, I started having the special dark chocolate chips. Okay. And that is the entire title, special dark chocolate chips. They are with the like Toll House semi-sweet chocolate chips, but these are dark chocolate chips. Have you ever had these, Tina? Mm-mm, no. They are delicious. <laughs> So delicious. These are have now become my go-to chocolate treat. I'll just have, I mean, probably too big of a handful, but I'll have a handful of these and then just set them beside me while and maybe have some tea or whatever in the afternoons while I'm reading or doing like work on my laptop. These are so good. But here's what else I also do with these. I put them in my little um, Tupperware hand chopper, uh-huh. chop them up. And sprinkle over fruit because I I especially love to eat fruit in the summer. So a bowl of strawberries, like fresh peaches, blueberries, 
sprinkle this crushed dark chocolate chips on the top. Delicious. Now you're talking. I love them. It's so simple. Yeah. And also, I mean, I don't know calories. I'm not worried about calories. I'm just worried about getting a look. Like, I just like a little bit of chocolate every day. I don't know. These seem, these are easy. I think they're small, so they could be deceiving on how many I'm eating, (laughs) but they're yummy. Yeah. So those are just the special dark chocolate chips. Okay. You're unlocking a memory for me. I can't believe I forgot about this. When I was pregnant with Lily, my favorite food, I had this like every day, were mixed nuts with chocolate chips on top. Just a few chocolate Mm, chips on top. I loved it. I haven't had it this entire time. So I might need to like pick some Try the special dark. Try the special dark. And I don't know if I like dark chocolate. I can't remember. (laughs) Like I think I do. I think I do. (laughs) But sometimes it's so bitter that I'm like, it like turns me off. That's very true. And that's why the higher you go up in the percentage. Mm -hmm. So past 70% which is what you can see on the dark chocolate, past that, the higher you go, the more bitter it tastes. Got it. So yeah. that, that's why I found my like favorite spot is around 70% with the, uh, and I like lint because I just like that brand. I feel like it it tastes good. So that's where I've landed with the dark chocolate percentage. Gotcha. Now I think special dark chocolate chips, I don't think they're at seven, I think they're much lower than 70%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why they taste so good. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, but I will <laughs> tell you about oh, my latest read was all— Can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited to tell you about it. Specifically, it was All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. And what I was alluding to earlier, and if you follow me on social media, you know— that I had the pleasure of meeting S.A. Cosby, a.k.a. Sean. I feel like I can call him that now. Maybe not. <laughs> but in D.C. last week, and it was just this coincidence. He happened to be doing a talk at a local bookstore in D.C. with Reggie Reeds. And I saw one of, uh, her name is uh, Jamise from Spines and Vines, post about it. She's like, hey, come through if you're here in D.C. S.A. Cosby speaking tomorrow. And I was like, wait a minute, I am in D.C. tomorrow. Like, this is crazy. That's I crazy. just happened to be laying down, like we were getting ready to pack, whatever, you know, we're flying out the next morning. I ripped myself out of bed. I almost dropped my phone on my face and ran downstairs. I'm like, John, (laughs) he's going to be there. So anyway, we grabbed tickets and I want to make this clear. I got to meet him. I took a photo with him, myself and Jonathan. And this was not because I'm a influencer or anything special. It was a free event and anybody could go. How incredible. I just couldn't believe. I'm like, what have I been missing? I don't, I've been to like one or two author events that were more formal, like luncheons and things like that. But this was so cool. He could not have been more gracious. He signed books. He took photos with people who wanted to. He was there for like two full hours. And like, I'm still buzzing. That was last week. I'm still (laughs) buzzing. It was my favorite part of the trip, honestly. So have to shout out author events and just essay as a person was so, so insightful. I was about halfway through the book because it came out the Tuesday prior when I heard him speak. And hearing him speak about certain plot points really helped me get the most out of my reading experience. And this was the book that I was reading deeply with my tabs and everything. This book is about Titus Crown. He is the first Black sheriff in the history of Sharon County, Virginia. And in recent decades, Quiet Sharon has only had two murders But after years of working as an FBI agent, Titus knows better than anyone that while his hometown might seem like the land of moonshine, cornbread, and Southern comfort, on the surface, there's always secrets buried beneath. A year to the day after his election, a school teacher is killed by a former student. And the student who kills the teacher is fatally shot by Titus's deputies. And I want to make this clear. That's the opening. It's not about a school shooting. This was not random. So if you're concerned about that angle, of course, given everything that's going on, know that that he doesn't stay there too long. Um, he does, of course, come and he and his you know uh, deputies come to investigate the shooting and why it happened, what took place, and he unearths terrible crimes. Again, this book is dark. He is a dark author, so don't go into this thinking light and fluffy. It does get dark. But I... <sighs> I have a high tolerance, I will say. I never felt it was done for shock value. It was more like, holy crap. (laughs) It it Mm -hmm. added to the grittiness, to the Southern noir of it. But Titus finds out that there has been a serial killer hiding in plain sight in his town. 
And he's got to figure this out because things start to escalate. And they start to wonder if the serial killer is connected to the local businesses and the town's history. And anyway, at the same time he's dealing with all of this, there is a far-right group in his town who wants to hold a parade celebrating the town's Confederate history. It's tough because, again, he's a Black sheriff, and he has to grapple with a lot of just different viewpoints, and he himself is a very complicated character. That's all you really need to know. There's a crime that happens in the beginning, and you follow the sheriff as he tries to figure things out. There are a lot of characters here. One of the things about S.A. Cosby's writing that I love so, so much is how detailed he is with characters. And somebody brought this up in the talk, and they they just complimented his writing and said, Everyone has a backstory. There's a ton of characters in this book, but like even if they're mentioned briefly, you still get a little bit of flavor. You still know them a little bit. And he's like, yeah, that's definitely my writing process. Every character he writes has a story. So I know that they like dark chocolate, but you don't know that. It might Mm -hmm. not ever come up in the book, but I'm writing the entire thing knowing all of these elements, which I thought was so cool. I liked that there was a serial killer plot to this book. So it very much was a bit of a departure from Razorblade Tears in theme, still had that grittiness, still had the excellent writing, but I liked the serial killer element to it. And what I love, listen to what he had to say about serial killers. He said, people think that serial killers are these mythical beings that are just smarter than everyone, outwit everybody, but really they're not. They're nothing special. They are just bold and lucky. Damn, that Mm, is a good point. I love this book. He has further cemented his status as an auto-read author for me. I can't wait to see what he writes. I can't wait for the adaptations for anything that's coming out. I love this book and loved my reading experience. It was All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. Oh, gosh. Great review. It's a tricky one to review because there's a lot going on. Just hang with it and know that you're getting a very, very well-written, very dark story about a southern Mm -hmm. town. And he is a man that's writing from experience. Like, he lives in the area. These people feel real. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Titus main character, his relationship with his father and brother. Some of the best relationships I've read between a father, son, and brother in writing. Like, they were such great characters. I love them. When you were talking, I was thinking, this probably be a great or would be a great be- read with BTE. Oh, sure. Maybe. So keep maybe keep that in mind or keep no. Keep that in Are mind. Too, yeah, too heavy of themes at times? It could be. It could be. It's pretty dark though. So okay. I don't know. If, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's dark. I don't want to tell okay. you why. But Well, yeah. you know better than because yeah. I haven't read it yet. So yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Well, my latest read is quite interesting. <laughs> it is The Last Time I Lied by Riley Sager. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know that this is an older book. A lot of people have already read this, but I just read it. And the reason I did, I was curious about jumping, like I was in a backlist mood. I was in a backlist with a summer setting mood. I was curious about this one, even though last year's book, The House Across the Lake, did not work for me in any way, shape or form. So this one is set at a summer camp. You have your main character, Emma Davis. Now, 15 years ago, Emma Davis was a summer camper and she got put into a cabin with older girls. She was one of the last to arrive. So they put her in with these three older girls. And one night as she was not able to sleep, she watched as her three cabin mates snuck out of their cabin in the dead of the night. And the last that she or anyone saw of them was one of the campers, whose name was Vivian, closing the cabin door behind her and hushing at Emma with a finger pressed to her lips. No one ever saw any of the three again. Now, cut to present day, and Emma is a rising star in the New York City art scene, and she has turned her past into paintings. Those particular paintings, she paints a lot of pictures of the three girls who went missing. The paintings end up catching the attention of Francesca Harris White. She is a socialite and wealthy owner of the camp, Camp Nightingale, where Emma went and where the girls went missing. Francesca is opening the camp back up and tries to talk Emma into returning to the camp as a painting counselor. 
And Emma decides that this might be her opportunity to find closure and move on with her life. She's been a bit stuck in the past. So she agrees. And then she arrives at Camp Nightingale, and it's not too long before things aren't quite as they seem. Um, Strange happenings are occurring, and campers potentially go missing again. So Emma has to face not only her past, but what's happening in the present. All right. I did this one on audio. The audio was really good. There is something that I can't put my finger on about Riley Sager's writing. And I would love to have a really deeper conversation about this because initially I was really pulled into this story. I was enjoying the setting. I was enjoying the setup. I was enjoying the writing. And I have read his books before, so I kind of know, like he does tend to drop you into the action, into the characterization. There's something about the way he writes that pulls the readers in. And it was absolutely the case here. I wasn't really on board with Emma as a person, but what I was here for was the plot. And what happened, you know, I love a disappearance story that is really going to pull me in every single time. So I was invested in what happened to those girls, especially all three of them. That was my driving force. That's what kept me reading. And that's what kept me going when about the 40-ish to 50-ish percent mark, I started to roll my eyes here and there. The thing with this type of story for me was it kind of got a little too incredible. Too many coincidences, too many things that required me to suspend my disbelief. And once I start having to suspend my disbelief too much, then I start rolling my eyes. But yet I kept reading, I kept listening. There was a bit of what I thought was filler that I think I suspect was used to kind of extend the story a bit and I thought was unnecessary. But I read to, I mean, I finished. I read to the end. I didn't have it figured out. It was quite interesting. I don't think I liked it. (laughs) And it's really a conundrum for me because I don't know. I don't know. I can't figure out. I wasn't inclined to DNF. I guess I was partly, but then I still wanted to find out what happened. Was I satisfied? Mm, kind of, but also it was filled with eye rolls by me. I don't know. This is tricky, but I'm glad I at least know where I land with this particular book because I know it was really popular. And it's The Last Time I Lied by Riley Sager. Good. I am now a Riley Sager completist. I have read all of his books except for the one that's coming out this summer. I think this is my third favorite. So kind of somewhere in the middle. I didn't love it. Mm. Um, I did Mm -hmm. not love it, but like some of his books I really did not like. So (laughs) I didn't go there with this one. I think I had a very similar reaction to you. I was like, okay, it's fine. Something about his writing though, it does pull you in. Like it does. Mm -hmm. And then I usually end up leaving uh, unsatisfied, but I can, I like popcorn thrillers. So it's not that. I don't know what it is. I know. I think a deep, I think a deeper conversation would be really interesting Yeah, I do too. Because I would really like to explore a little bit about what it is about his writing that pulls Mm -hmm. readers in. Yeah, same. And myself included, because I I still have Lock Every Door to read and then his new one. And I would, I'm also a completist. So we, anyway, we could do this. I think you're right. A deeper (laughs) conversations in order. Uh We could do this forever. But we got to get into book talk, Renee, because we have such a fun topic. It is under the radar reads. Now talk about talking about the opposite of Sager and Cosby. Like those are not under the radar authors. No. But even we, Renee and I, need to have a break from new releases now and again. And I like under the radar reads for a lot of reasons. You know, I'm a little gremlin and I'm like, oh, I want to be the first to tell you about something. Let me put you on to something. I really enjoy mm-hmm. that. But I was thinking too, I also enjoy reading Under the Radar because I feel like it gives books a little bit of a chance to breathe a little bit. Like it give, it's not like the buzzy, buzzy hot right now. It gives me a chance to see if it'll have a little bit of staying power. Mm-hmm. Right. So 
for under the radar, I thought, let's give a definition. What are we talking about exactly? (laughs) What does this mean? Yeah. (laughs) So the dictionary definition of under the radar is when something is ignored or not noticed much by people in general. So that's, yeah, that's very general. And when we're talking about books, for me, under the radar can mean new releases that are not getting any attention, Mm -hmm. like in in the general public, but also backlists that were completely ignored or not noticed or like just didn't get any buzz. So that does encompass quite a large amount of potential reads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was trying to decide too what that meant to me. Under the radar books are ones I haven't heard a lot about. And it's also very personal because in the spaces we inhabit, like I'm on TikTok, I'm in Instagram, Goodreads. Those are the places where I'm looking to see if a lot of people have been talking about it. And that may not, Mm -hmm. that's not all encompassing. I don't go on BookTube really. And I know there's books that are big over there that I've never heard of. But like, if you were on that site, you'd be like, what do you mean? People are talking about this all the time. Sometimes. The way that I judge a book's under-the-radar-ness, if you will, is Goodreads review numbers. How many people have shelved it or rated it on Goodreads? What number do you think is under the radar? I think we've talked about this before. As far as um, what would rating you, Goodreads? Yeah, reviews. If it came out like two years ago, we'll say. If it came out, okay. If it came out two years ago and has less than a thousand mm-hmm. Ratings or reviews, I would consider that under the radar. Definitely, I was thinking five thousand. I don't, but I also have no frame. Renee and I, we were talking before. We're not numbers people at all, (laughs) so I have no idea like what's common. I do for both of my upcoming reads have the number of ratings written down, and one of them I was absolutely shocked because it's been out since the nineties. I'm like, what? This is so under the radar. I cannot believe more people aren't talking about this. But I loved you put this question in our notes, and I love this. What comprises quote the radar? And so for us as book consumers, I think it's different if you are an author or a publisher. And you wrote, it's the New York Times bestseller list. That is the standard. That is what people are looking at. It's also what's trending or blowing up on TikTok, what everyone is posting about, talking about popular word of mouth books and celebrity book clubs. So there's a lot of different radars that like even we as consumers may not mm-hmm. initially think of. But I know the New York, the list, that's the thing. That's like, if you've made the list, your book is officially right. off above the radar. <laughs> right. And we don't often read the uh, from the New York Times bestseller list. Not on purpose. <laughs> right. No, I th- I just think it tends to be a lot of the same authors who get on, you know, who regularly make the New York Times bestseller list. And we're trying to read not the same authors all the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's also hard to consider for us what is the radar when we consume so much book content. So we have to try to think from a place of of someone who is not Uh on Bookstagram, who's not on TikTok, who's not looking at books all the time like we are. If If I see a book and it's making its way on like some Facebook groups or like in my my personal book club or whatever, usually it takes place. Usually the books that I hate, I don't want to sound like a snob, but like regular readers, you know, are talking, people that don't listen to our podcast, you know, these are just folks that like <laughs> reading, but like mm-hmm. aren't obsessed like us. They pick up the books like later, later. So like Verity for years was super popular. I'd read it two years ago, right? At that point. Mm-hmm. Now it's The House Made by Frieda McFadden. A lot of people are buzzing about, which is a great book, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've read, of course I've read Frieda, you know, Frieda McFadden. <laughs> so it's funny because mm-hmm. you can kind of see these books make their way through the pipeline. But that's Mm -hmm. what's interesting because buzzy books or books that are above the radar, however you want to call it, sometimes they're not brand new. It's just that they took off somewhere. Somehow they took off. Look at Colleen Hoover. Like her books took off on TikTok. Holy cats. Is she now, she's like five of her books are on the the lists. Like it's crazy Mm -hmm. to see the growth Mm -hmm. that she had. Right. Yep. Now, when you were approaching for the show today, how did you do that? What were you looking for for your under the radar? Yeah, so I did not really have a set way. I happened to have read one that was super under the radar, maybe, I don't know, we'll say a month ago I finished it. And I'm like, holy cow, I looked up on Goodreads how many ratings it had. It was like something like, we'll say 1,400 at the time. And I'm like, this book came out in the 90s. How 
first of all, where did I hear about it? Because I don't know. <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> how have people not heard about this book? And so I think that's kind of was my kicking off point. For my second book, um, I just remember hearing, I saw somebody on TikTok talk about it. It was a thriller, domestic suspense. And she said she read it maybe four years ago and is still thinking about it. And I'm like, well, let me see what this is. And I just mm. happened to look. Again, I went to Goodreads, saw how many reviews. I said, yep, this counts for me as under the radar. What was your thought process? Mine was to pick a new release that I feel is not getting a lot of buzz. So I wanted to pick one of those. And I think I did. And then my other, I found on my bookstore browse. Now, it just got bumped because we are recording today is Thursday. I went to the bookstore on Tuesday. Uh And I already had something else I was listening to. And then you know, I mean, you know me with the bookstore brows. I ended up like heavily scouring the mystery thriller section yeah. because that was my mood. I'll tell you when I get to it how I found this, but I've never heard of it. <gasps> ended up getting the audio and and e on Libby. So great, you know, that's what's so fun about backlist and binged it. Perfect. Never heard. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it was popular when it came out. I've n- I just have to go with the fact that I had never heard of it. Right. I, not <laughs> that I've point, heard of every mystery well, or thriller. A but. lot of them. A lot of them you've heard of, for sure. Yes. I'm thinking, too, of a book that is just beyond caught fire. It's Fourth Wing um, on, mm-hmm. by Rebecca Yaros on social media. My goodness, has it caught fire. People are selling their first editions on Pango for over $100. I'm like, oh, wow. my God. Because it's got the sprayed edges with the dragon. And I will say it's pretty gorgeous. But, like... Yeah, I feel weird about that, but it's interesting to see because I have such a, like my readerly heart is so divided because on the one hand, I love a buzzy book. I picked up Fourth Wing. I'm not a fantasy girl. Typically loved the book, but I also love Under the Radar because like now, just now when you said you found this one, you scoured, found a mystery and thriller you hadn't heard Mm -hmm. of. I'm like, I want to know what it is. I want that Under the Radar feeling. I sometimes find though, the con of reading Under the Radar is that there's no one really to talk about the book with. And I know we're social mm-hmm. readers. We like that. And so eventually, if you know, for us, if we speak about a book, other people might read it and then we can talk. But like in the moment, there's not as much access to that. Right. And it maybe maybe it's not as engaging. I don't know if people are all that interested in hearing about under the radar books. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, so this was another thing. It was like perfectly serendipitous. I am in a lot of Facebook groups uh, that are book centered or reader centered. And it's a wide range. Some are mystery and thriller, some are just general. And someone asked the question that basically boiled down to what would happen if big book influencers started focusing only on under the radar books? And I was like, probably not a lot <laughs> because. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did ask, I was like, what do you mean big, right? Like how many, like what, what is your metric for that? Where are you? Because of course, you know me, I'm a research, like I'm a, mm-hmm. right. Like I'm like, well, what's your definition? What's, you know, <laughs> this poor girl probably was just, <laughs> just like a, asking a question. But I was thinking she did catch on to something though, or she did touch on something that some of the big accounts, like if you are a person that wants to grow your account or wants to have this a lot of attention, unfortunately, you're not going to get it a lot with under the radar reads. Maybe now and again, I know we like them. Renee, you do a great Mm -hmm. job of bringing them, but I also know me personally on my page, especially Instagram, if I post about fourth wing or I post about whatever, something that's popping off, lot more attention than if I post about a book people haven't heard of. And I think it, it it is the nature of the beast, right? And I cannot blame the influencers for, you know, wanting to post things that people see because it's kind of a bummer when you post something and like four people see it. Mm-hmm. But I also want to, you know, I was thinking about the privilege of that. Like, how do I get books on my personal radar? Part of it is my own research, but a part of it is they get sent to me. But how do they get sent to me? The publisher. And the publisher has to believe in that author, promote their author, and put Mm -hmm. the dollars in. And not every author gets that. So I am making more of a conscious effort to be like, okay, I don't want to be reading or picking books with the bias of, oh, I've heard about it. Oh, there's a big budget behind it. Because Mm -hmm. there's so many great books out there, I'm sure, that are more self-published. S.A. Cosby's first book, he said that his publisher was not promoting it. He pulled it. That's why it was a re-release. He's, he published it on his own, basically. And then he got picked up by Flatiron for Blacktop Wasteland. And then everything, you know, took look at his career now, right? So mm-hmm. 
anyway, it's just something that I'm thinking about consciously now that I think you and I, we have a podcast, we've got social media mm-hmm. pages, we're established. We have the power, I think, to maybe spread out our focus. Never will we be like, nah, forget new releases. Maybe we will. Shoot, I don't know. Not mm-hmm. anytime soon. But I think the bigger <laughs> point is spreading out our attention and finding books maybe that are a little bit less talked about, a little bit less buzzy. I completely agree. And I I love doing that because I think that there is a vast amount of books out there that are older, but also new ones that are not getting the publishing dollars and mm-hmm. also older ones that are so, like they're just great stories waiting to be read that yeah. didn't get any publicity. And we have a platform that we can help mm-hmm. do that. And that is exciting to me yeah. because these authors, most if not all of them, are still out there writing. Mm-hmm. And even if they don't have a big five publisher, yeah, if they don't have a big five publisher, they often don't get the attention mm-hmm. that their books may very well deserve. So I will always be searching for my next under the radar gem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you're right. You brought this up. The big five publishers, right? Of course, they tend to, they want to make money. And I understand that. And so they tend to promote authors that they know have a proven track record. But then it's like kind of this chicken and egg thing. Well, wait, (laughs) if you're a debut Mm -hmm. author or whatever, and gosh, I swear to you, all of this conversation is so colored by our recent conversation with Bianca Vare, who does so Mm -hmm. much for authors and Reading Yellowface by R.F. Kuang. Both of those are like kind of sitting in my brain as we're talking through this because it's just so interesting to think about who gets the airtime, who gets the dollars, who gets the arc Mm -hmm. sent out and all of those types of things. Yes, exactly. I hope we just put an idea out there to people. Let's look for some under the radar books every now and then. If you're not, let's, let's kind of look outside of what celebrity book clubs are sharing. I mean, we like the celebrity book clubs. Let's look outside the New York Times bestseller list. And we're going to give you three independent publishers. So these are not one of the big five, but they're publishing, they're out there publishing books that you can pull up their websites. You can go and look at what books they're publishing and maybe you will find your next under the radar gem. So I will start The first one is Europa Editions, and they are a top independent publisher to check out if you are in in the market for high-end mystery, noir, literary fiction, or narrative nonfiction. Now, the reason I also really like them, they are one of the U.S.'s top publishers of fiction in translation, and Mm -hmm. I I love trying to find and off and reading books in translation. One of their top breakout books is My Brilliant Friend by Ilana Ferrante. Mm-hmm. And how amazing, right, for, for that to be one of their books that came out. And I love that you brought that um, as well. One of my books today is in translation. Now I want to look and see who the publisher is because I don't know offhand. Mm, okay. And then another one on this list is Algonquin Books, which is an imprint of Workman Publishing Company, one of the largest U.S. indie publishers They primarily publish literary fiction and nonfiction. One of their big books that got a lot of popularity is Water for Elephants by Sarah Gruen. Yes, yes. I have to say, I love Algonquin. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize they were an imprint, so I learned something new there. And the third one we're going to share today is Catapult, and they are a small press. They were launched in 2015, and they seek to publish unique and emotional stories from both new and established authors. They are publishing fiction and narrative nonfiction. One of their big hits is All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got the fact that they publish emotional stories, that got my attention. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that gets your, yeah. your ears buzzing. Well, good. Yeah, but um, easy, you can easily Google independent publishers. There's quite a bit of information. I'll link to a website that I used to find a whole bunch of independent publishers, you'll find these three on there as well. 
Perfect. Yeah, definitely share that resource. I love this conversation. At first, this always happens. I'm like, what are we going to talk about? And then we like end up with like a 40-minute conversation about our topic. I will jump into my first book, though. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that is the book in translation. It was published by Columbia University Press. And it's called The Membranes by Chi Ta Wei. And it was translated by Ari Larissa Heinrich. And this one was first published in 1995. And it has 1,713 ratings on Goodreads. I was like, what the heck? So I, again, cannot tell you where I first heard about this book, but I'm glad I found it. It is queer speculative fiction that questions gender, humanity, and memory, which are some of my very favorite topics to read about, especially when I'm exploring this type of reading. It is short. It's only 168 pages, but it took me a long time to get through, not because I didn't enjoy the reading experience, But there's a lot to absorb, and it's set in the late 21st century. You've got Momo. That is your main character, and she is the most celebrated dermal care technician in in all of T-City. Earth is basically on fire on land. (laughs) Climate change has happened. So humanity has now figured out a way to migrate to domes at the bottom of the sea. You get a little bit of the science behind it, but it's more about the story. So just, you know, don't poke too many holes in how we're doing that. (laughs) And the world is dominated by powerful media conglomerates and, you know, there's cyborgs and there's all of this like political stuff going on. Momo's out of it. She just prefers to keep to herself and really focus on her work. She stays busy with her wealthy clients and she's in charge of uh, dermal care is so important now because of UV uh, rates that are people are being exposed to. So it's like a way to keep their skin safe. And she's been estranged from her mom for years when suddenly mom comes back into her life. She's like, what is happening? And it's very complicated for her. She wants to make her proud. She's also got heavy feelings. Like, you know, you, you kind of unpack what happened, why they've been estranged. And this meeting changes everything and causes Momo to explore her true identity, which is a journey that leads to questioning bounds of gender, memory, self, and reality. It sounds like a lot, and it is, but I will say, stick with it and the payoff is there. It's a bit dystopian in that humans, again, are living in these domes under the sea, but at its core, it's this quiet story about Momo finding herself. And you find out pretty early on in the story that Momo is trans. And so the author doesn't come out and say it in so many words, but you figure out what he's getting at. And it's speculative. And it was so interesting because it was written in 1995. And in 1995, obviously, the author doesn't know about uh, iPhones or, you know, a lot of what we have now. But we got to see if some of the predictions he made came true, including fitness tracking and social media. And I loved that there was this obvious queer theme throughout the story, And but you're still set in the sci-fi world. I loved that balance. And it was just such an interesting dichotomy. You've got all of this chaos going around, but at its core, Momo and her mom. They're still struggling with things you could struggle with today. I will say, though, the last third of the book changes everything. And it was really interesting to see, oh, I understand now. I'm with you. I get where we're going here or what what's being said. So it made me rethink the entire reading experience. This was one of the first queer novels to be published in Chinese. I would love to go deeper into stories like these. Like, I love this type of story. If you like Kazuo Ishiguro's storytelling, I think you would like this book. And this was The Membranes by Chi Tawe. Hey, whoa. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Wow. Man, is it good. It was really, really good. I loved the ending. I loved wrapping it up. It was it was awesome. Okay, good. All right. My first book is the new release that I have not seen very much buzz for. It is Charm City Rocks, yeah. a love story by Matthew Norman. This came out June 6th and as of right now only has 263 ratings on Goodreads. I've only seen a couple people on Instagram talking about it. I did a combination of audio and print. I very much enjoyed the audio. Um, This is about Billy Perkins, who, for the most part, is happy. And why shouldn't he be? He loves his job as an independent music teacher and his apartment in Baltimore above a record shop called Charm City Rocks. And most of all, he loves his brainy teenage son, Caleb. And then you have another character in the story, Margot Hammer. And Margot is far from happy. She is a former drummer of the once famous band Burnt Flowers. She's now a rock and roll recluse living alone in New York City. 
And one day, a new music documentary puts Margot back in the spotlight and she realizes how much she misses her old band and the music that gave her life meaning. And then one day shortly after that documentary aired, she receives a call that very well could propel her back into the music scene. And Margot's label has also made it clear to her that any publicity is an opportunity she can't afford to miss. Now, let's go back to Billy. Billy has always had a crush on Margot. She was his like rock star, I guess, yeah, crush from years ago, 20 years ago when she was popular. He loved her. And she is a legitimate rock star who he never, ever thought he would meet. Until one day, after being scammed, Margot shows up at Charm City Rock. And when their paths collide, Billy realizes that maybe he wasn't as happy as he thought, and Margot learns that sometimes the sweetest music is a duet. Okay. Aw. This is such a great story. If you haven't read Matthew Norman, he is one of my recent favorite authors that I have read the last three summers. I enjoy his writing so much. In this story, there is alternating timeframes that offer a very small glimpse into the past, mainly like mainly Margot's past, but these are very quick and most of the story takes place in the present day. The chapters are short, they propel the story along, and they made it really hard for me to stop reading and listening. I'm pretty sure I binged this, if not in one day, then a day and a half. I liked and rooted for all of these characters. There were no jerks. There was no cheesy dialogue. These are just regular people. And I, I, and I just said people and not characters. That tells you mm-hmm. how real he makes his characters. The regular people living their sometimes messy, often for the most part, happy lives. This type of story, which on paper may sound average, <laughs> comes alive with an author like Matthew Norman because he writes realistic dialogue. And I love realistic dialogue. I love a lot of dialogue when it's done well. And that's what he does. Um, The story provides just enough information to let you get to know the characters, but he never does a backstory dump. Um, And in this book, which takes place in Baltimore, Baltimore is as interesting as the people. Mm-hmm. So I love that he made Baltimore its own character. Something I had really especially loved, and I was trying to like really pinpoint what it is about his writing and what it is about the story. He drops you right into the story. There is no lengthy setup. All in all, I thought this was thoroughly entertaining. This was a feel-good read with 100% substance. I listened to a lot of this while I was outside walking, and I really, truly caught myself smiling for the majority of this book. I did. <laughs> um, if you're looking for a feel-good summer read that just has that something extra, I, I really recommend this. It's Charm City Rocks, A Love Story by Matthew Norman. I love it. Is he the author that wrote All Together Now? Yes. Same guy. I read, yes, yeah. I read that last year. Yeah. I, I loved so. it. And mm-hmm. he wrote Last Couple Standing. Last Couple Standing. Yeah, also, exactly. Also loved. Mm-hmm. These are, and all three very different books. Right. That's why when you said a love story, I was like, wait, what? Like, yeah. that's not his normal. No. Well, and you don't, it does have an album like mm-hmm. on the cover. You don't have to love music to enjoy this story. Yeah. You really don't. Okay. Oh, it's so good. I think Lily's home. I can hear the cacophony upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next for me is Just Between Us by Rebecca Drake. And this one came out in 2018, had 4,705 ratings. And I grabbed this one from my library, no waiting, after I saw somebody on TikTok say this was one of her favorite thrillers that she still thinks about years later. Oh. Which I'm like, all right, it's got staying power. And it's also on Hoopla, which I was happy to discover. Oh, good. Okay. I will say, though, there's multiple narrators, but I wouldn't race to get the audio. It was fine. (laughs) But I don't think if you want the audio because you're doing other things, great. You do not need to listen to this in audio, though. 
And this is a story about secrets, lies, friendship, and about what lies behind closed doors. It fits in the domestic suspense vein. It's not like a super, it's not like a psychological thriller, although there are some very good twists in here. This book is a good comp for Big Little Lies would be my best Mm. comp. It's about Allison, Julie, Sarah, and Heather. And they're four friends living the ideal suburban life near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the author set this in a real Pittsburgh suburb, Sewickley, which is a fun nod if you're familiar with the area. I am not, but I was like, cool. I like that you, you know, she uses yins once or twice. So I thought that was a fun angle. And the women are friends. They get together to discuss their lives, their kids over coffee and wine. But everything begins to unravel when Allison spots a nasty bruise on Heather's wrist. She shares her suspicions with Julie and Sarah, compelling all three to investigate what looks like an increasingly violent marriage. And as mysterious injuries and erratic behavior continue to mount, Heather can no longer deny the abuse, but she refuses to leave her husband. And the women are desperate to save her, but they also don't know what to do because she doesn't want to leave and they don't know how to intervene. But then they get a phone call that changes everything and they have to decide what lengths they'll go to to help a friend. I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was the perfect binge read. There's not the S.A. Cosby level of characterization here. (laughs) There are four women and I could not, I could barely tell them apart. So you know, take that for what you will. But that doesn't bother me in general, right? I'm like, I'm more there for the story in this case, definitely mm-hmm. more plot driven. I thought the story was propulsive. Her writing was really solid. I will say it felt a tiny bit long because sometimes we'd see the same event from all four points of view. I'm like, guys, oh. I know we're at the funeral. Like, I know <laughs> the cops are there at the funeral. Like, I know this. <laughs> Can we move on? But it was one of those stories that I love where the characters get backed into the corner and you're like, there is no freaking way they're going to get out of this unscathed. And you have to keep flipping the pages to see if your suspicions are right. Lots of good reveals. And I can even see this being fun for book clubs if only you could discuss what you would do in this situation. I had fun with this one and I would seek out this author again. I don't think she's written a book since 2018 or maybe hasn't published one, but this was Just Between Us by Rebecca Drake. Okay, good find. Have you yeah, heard, of heard of it? I haven't heard of that either. No, okay. I haven't heard of I that. I was wondering. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I looked on Goodreads and then I remembered you took all your books off Goodreads. Yes, I sure did. Renee's a secret agent now. We don't know anything have... about her reading life <laughs> unless you listen to the show. Exactly. I know. I know. I can't that I I've am I'm MIA from Goodreads for the most part. Okay. My book two is my bookstore browse find and it is the lost girls by jessica chiarella (gasps) have you heard of this oh my god is it set in chicago yes oh my god oh my god i cannot believe it is now that you say that yeah okay cool tell me about it yes i do know this book because i was i wanted to know more about it Anyway, it was on this map that has been going around of books set in different areas of the country. It's like a thousand books in a thousand cities. And this was one of the ones listed for Chicagoland. Weird. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. I know. How strange. Well, this one has 1,255 ratings on Goodreads and it came out in 2021, July of 2021. I did listen to this completely because I needed to finish and um, I really like the audio. Really good. She does a great job with voices. This is about Marty Reese. Marty Reese narrates the entire story. And when her true crime podcast becomes an overnight sensation, Marty is pulled in to the web of a case that may offer a surprising connection to her own sister's disappearance years earlier. So it's been more than 20 years since Marty's sister Maggie disappeared. And at the time... Marty was only eight years old and she was out with Maggie and she can't remember exactly what happened. But what she does remember vividly is that Maggie got into a car and turned around, let go of her hand and told Marty to run and then was never seen again. So after years of grief and countless false leads, Marty is coping as best she can. She does tend to drink a lot. She tried to go on with her life. She got married, but then she ends up partnering up with her best friend, Andrea, and they start this true crime podcast, which in the opening scene wins for um, 
like a debut true crime podcast and it becomes an unexpected hit. It basically goes viral is what happens. And Marty thinks, okay, well, maybe this is either going to help me move forward. Maybe we'll get some leads or I'm going to be able to put all of this behind me and move on and help other missing girls. Or She's very aware of the fact that not all missing girls receive the same attention, which we've talked about before with stories. And then one day, she gets, Marty gets a call from a lady named Ava. And Ava is an ER doctor who has been fighting to overturn her brother's murder conviction. And they talk, and the ladies end up finding strange similarities between the two cases. And Ava is certain that there's a connection between the murder that her brother is in prison for and Maggie's disappearance years ago. And that connection could ultimately prove her brother's innocence. So together, Marty and Ava start working together, start looking for answers. But the more Marty digs, the more she's shaken by what she finds out. Boy, this was such a good mystery. This was such a great mystery psychological thriller. Like I said, I found this on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. And the reason I ended up taking a closer look at it was because Lisa Gardner blurbed it. And I was 100% tempted by that because I love Lisa Gardner. So there you go. Sometimes blurbs work. (laughs) I went into this with no expectations and I was immediately pulled into the storyline, the tone, the writing. The writing felt gritty. It felt not thoroughly original, but it felt different. And because I read a lot of mysteries and thrillers and I just remember, I thought, wow, I really like her writing style. It's a single timeline, one perspective, Marty narrates. And what I really liked was the podcast is not a big part of the story, actually. I thought initially it would be, but it's not. I loved how she used the podcast as a very clever backdrop and plot device in order to tell the rest of the story and in order to create a really intriguing puzzle. Now, something that I especially need in stories like this where you've got kind of an amateur sleuth, because I don't love amateur sleuths, but I really like Marty. I connected with her. I was able to root for her as the person trying to figure things out, but she was flawed, but she was smart. So all of those combined to really be a plus for me. I thought that This was well-plotted with plenty of supporting characters who were intriguing, yet also could be suspects depending on when they came in the story. I loved how the author incorporated the current story with Ava and her brother into Marty's continued question to find out what happened to her sister. It basically gave us a dual puzzle to try to figure out, which I loved. I loved how she explored the ramifications of what happens to the family members who are left behind when they don't know what happened to their loved one. It was felt really realistic the way that she explored that. My only criticism with this book, and it's not a big criticism, but it is the fact that the trope of the woman drinking too much has been done and overdone so I wasn't crazy about that. Marty drink, Marty does drink sometimes in excess. And, and then it was pointed out that Marty was drinking, kind of like you with the funeral situation. It was like, we get it. as a reader, I got it. I know that Marty's <laughs> drinking too more than she should be drinking. I, I don't need several reminders about that. But that's a minor criticism because I really enjoyed this book. I appreciate the path that the author took with the ending. I always love a good epilogue, and this one had me rushing to Goodreads to see what her next book was, hoping that there was like a a follow-up, a book two, anything. So far, there's nothing. I hope she's busy writing. I will be eagerly waiting for whatever this author publishes next. And that was The Lost Girls by Jessica Chiarella. Oh, what a fun book. And 
I wanted to correct myself. I pulled up the map. We will link to this map. It's called 1001 Novels, A Library of America. And it's somebody put an interactive map where you can really, really dial in and zoom in and see where your, uh, you know, what books are recommended closer to you. Okay. And the book that this one listed was by Jessica Chiarella, but it was her debut called And Again. This one sounds exactly in my wheelhouse. It's about four individuals that have been given a second chance. They've been gifted genetically perfect bodies as a part of a medically advanced pilot program seeking FDA approval. And it's like speculative. I'm like, okay, I just said I want more speculative science fiction-y, you know, there you go. stories. Mm-hmm. This is a sign, right? So I'm going to get and, this And one. under the radar. And under the radar. And obviously the Lost Girls was her sophomore book and absolutely not a sophomore slump. Good. Isn't that funny? That yeah. What a random coincidence, but good pick. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm glad to hear this. I will wrap things up today with my shelf edition. And this one is not an under the radar author. It is By Baby by Corolla Lovering. And this oh. one doesn't come out until March 2024, but I wanted to bring it to the show early because I love the author. And it's about best friends, but best friends don't always have the best intentions. On a brisk fall night in a New York apartment, 35 year old Billy West hears terrified screams. It's her lifelong best friend, Cassie, one floor above, and Cassie has just realized that her infant daughter has gone missing. Billy is shaken as she looks down into her own arms and sees the baby, remembering with a jolt of fear that she's the one responsible for the kidnap. Excuse me. And you find out that they used to be really, really close. They've drifted a little bit apart in adulthood. And Cassie is married to a wealthy man, has recently become a mother, and is building a following as a lifestyle influencer. She is desperate to leave her past behind, including Billy, who is single and childless and no longer fits into her world. But Billy knows the worst thing Cassie has ever done and will do anything to restore their friendship. <laughs> so, uh, I like it. It's told in alternating points of view with lovering signature style. I've really enjoyed her writing. So I'm very mm-hmm. curious about this. She does friendships. She does complicated relationships really, really well. And I want to know what their secret is. I also want to know, mm-hmm. how did you get this baby? Why are you living downstairs? Does Cassie know you're living downstairs? Like, what's going on here? Got a lot of questions, but you might have to wait a couple months to get your hands on this one. It was by Baby by Corolla Lovering. Oh, yeah. Good. I didn't realize she had a one coming out next year. Yay. Good. All right. Good. All right. My shelf edition is Swipe Up for More, Inside the Unfiltered Lives of Influencers, by Stephanie McNeil. Perfect tie-in with the woman who's an influencer in my book. Yes. Have you heard of this one, Tina? I have not, no. Okay. This is um, a new release. It it came out June 6th, and it only has 69 ratings on Goodreads. I'm fairly certain it's an independent publisher. But any, I have to give a shout-out to Katie from Basic Bees Guide, who absolutely put this on my radar because I had never heard of it. And now I'm probably going to binge it when we're done listening to or when we're done recording today. Um, this is an unfiltered, colorful romp through the in real life world of influencers that spills the tea on the multi billion dollar industry of content creation. The author is a journalist, and she admits that she has spent hours and tons of time indulging in Instagram's infinite scroll. She was very into influencers, following them, um, not only on Instagram, but in the blogging world. And in this story, she's going to take us through an intimate, funny, and vulnerable reporting of the secret world, the secret real world of three major fashion and lifestyle juggernaut influencers. Okay. Caitlin Covington of Southern Curls and Pearls runner and advocate Myrna Valerio, and OG mommy blogger Shannon Bird. I don't know who any of these people are, but I'm very curious as to what she is going to tell us. Katie said that this book is fascinating as far as talking about influencers, looking at behind the scenes. The author is going to look at the empire of these big influencers. What do they struggle with? What about the haters? 
What does the fight for creative control on the tech platforms look like? What about parenting in public? What about everything that goes behind on behind the scenes? Also, she looks at and answers the question, why are there so many Mormon mommy influencers? What is it like to work for an influencer? What do they do with all their free swag and more? This is billed as irresistible, juicy, and voyeuristic. All right. I'm very curious. It's Swipe Up for More Inside the Unfiltered Lives of Influencers by Stephanie McNeil. That sounds so good. (laughs) I... I love yeah. that. I love the questions they're going to talk about. This one sounds really interesting. So yes, um, it's on um, Penguin Random House. The word voyeuristic is a buzzword for me. I love it. Isn't oh. that what reading is though? Kind of being voyeur. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're we're yeah, we're getting an inside peek at something. Anything. Sometimes they're real. Sometimes they're made up. But mm-hmm. either way, I'm. I want juicy. Know. I know juicy is a buzzword for yeah. me. Like I agree. I agree. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, that's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you'd like to access exclusive bonus content and community, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. I am burping up fucking fish oil pills and I want to die. It's so disgusting. Oh, gross. Yeah, John's been, I told him I would take them if he, because I have DHA in my prenatals, which I take every day, but he's like, take some of these. And then I have krill oil. I said, I'll take them if you hand them to me every day. I won't do it on my own, but if you give them to me, I will. So I just had them before and I'm like, this is Does he, did he, he, did he not give the um, odorless ones? Because you can buy odorless. (sighs) Yeah, I got to look at that. Which is for that exact issue. I just was sitting here. I'm like, what? The, what did I eat today? I'm like, oh, it's my my pills. Yeah. Pregnancy is the worst. I was telling John yesterday. I was like, I am over it, and I have three months left. Like that is a long time left. But anyway, I digress. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the weather corner, I'm going to have a pregnancy the corner. Pregnancy corner. Oh People my are going to be like, shut up.